COVID-19 and the impact on working parents. A recent survey conducted by Catalyst revealed that 48% of working parents believe that they will need to reduce their work hours or move to part-time work in the coming months due to the impact of COVID-19. Furthermore, the study highlights that nearly 33% are fearful that they will lose their employment in the next six months. Undoubtedly, COVID-19 has had a catastrophic impact on working families. This global pandemic has exacerbated the struggle of working parents' ability to successfully integrate work and home life priorities. From the loss of adequate child care, elder care, and after-school programs, many working parents are being forced to scale back on their career trajectory and focus on their home responsibilities. For single parents without, sufficient support, without a sufficient support system, COVID-19 has led to an increase in mental health, stress, and burnout. Welcome to the Diversity Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Audra Jenkins, joined by a member of my Ron Side Equality Diversity and Inclusion Already crew, Floss Agri. Today, we are speaking with Bob Milk, Chief Commercial Officer at Monster. Bob currently um, leads the commercial strategy and operations globally for Monster. And in this role, he has operations for sales, customer service, and government solution segments. Since joining Monster in 2018, Bob has focused on transforming Monster's sales and service organization through commitment and communication of KPIs critical to driving performance. This has delivered double-digit increases in new business each year. Melk has twice been named a top 100 global sales leader by themodernsale.com in 2019 and 2020. Bob has extensive experience and expertise in leadership around recruitment industry and beyond. Prior to Monster, he served as the president of DICE, a technology recruiting company, leading all aspects of their global business strategy and operations. He was also served as the president of RigZone, a career platform focused on the oil and gas industry. Bob spent 10 years at the tech media company International Data Group. Bob holds a Bachelor's of Arts in Broadcasting from the State University of New York at Oswego, and he's currently based in Boston and is a dad in training for the last 11 years. Welcome, Bob. Thank you so much, Audra. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Bob, let's dig right in. So, you know, there's been so many challenges people are facing in general as working parents. And, you know, and COVID-19 has definitely have compounded that. You know, what are some of the challenges you faced, you know, while you're caring for your daughter during this time? Yeah. And the, that initial introduction was quite disconcerting, right? It's uh, amazing to when you consider really how little time has passed through this pandemic. It feels like a lot longer yeah. and it feels like um, there's been a mountain of struggle that has been placed upon so many people and most especially working parents. You know, for for myself, I, of course, feel very fortunate. There's no question. But like every working parent, I am absolutely, you know, struggling to <laughs> maintain a sense of sanity. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, so many layers within that, you know, the some of the challenges that I deal with on a daily basis, of course, start with ensuring that my daughter feels connected to the world. You know, we, we've always had a great relationship and I, I feel really uh, lucky in that respect. You know, she and I have a really terrific dialogue, in my opinion, and I hope in 10 years she'll feel the same way. <laughs> but that's not enough. You know, just 
uh, especially being a single parent and having just one child, that can be really lonely for an 11-year-old girl who should be really pushing the social boundaries in this moment, right? That's what childhood is all about. And she is a very social kid, naturally. She's not introverted. She's not um, someone who necessarily prefers to sit home. But of course, we've had to step back from a lot of the typical social engagements that we relished and enjoyed and took for granted for so long. So we, we've struggled with how to step beyond you know, or to adapt to COVID and still get social interaction. And you know, we've found some ways to do that. We've struggled with how to ensure that we stay physically fit you know, like I am someone like I used to go to the gym four or five days a week. Uh, even as a parent, I was keeping it up to about three to four days a week. It's not easy, but I was getting it done. Well, that's gone out the window. And uh, so, you know, we've been making sure that my daughter gets exercise. She she plays soccer and she was in uh, dance classes for her whole, you know, life really. And that's you know, we are still fortunately maintaining soccer, but we've peeled back. So maintaining a focus on exercise has been another challenge. And then just the, the work-life balance, hello. I mean, you would, I said earlier, and I mean it, like I feel very lucky, very fortunate that I can work from home. Uh, many people cannot. But um, the pressure to step away or the pressure of the balance and, and knowing when you need to say, put it away and go out and spend some time with your kid has been a challenge, no doubt. So those are the top three that jump out at me. Absolutely, Bob. And I think that's a great segue to my next question. You know, working for home is definitely a privilege. You know, some people, especially our essential workers, you know, out there, you know, they cannot take advantage of that during, during this pandemic. You know, what tips do you have for building a support network, especially for single working parents in the midst of COVID? You know, how can we get some care and feeding around you know, some of these people that don't have, you know, that right now. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll tell you something that's that's made our situation a little more difficult that I haven't mentioned yet is that my daughter and I actually moved across country in the midst of this pandemic. So it was only a month and a half ago, wow. as you know, Audra, that uh, we we decided to pack it up and move from San Francisco to the Boston area, as you mentioned. So that really threw an additional pressure for us on, you know, tips for support networks, because we, we, we moved away from a lot of the folks that were a part of that network, right? And we moved to a city. I, I've lived in Boston before. I'm from the East Coast, New York, originally, but my daughter had literally never been here. She's had her first experience with snow just recently. And so this is a new world for her, and, and that, that makes it tough. What I would say is most important is to reach out to your friends and your community. And I know that's hard. I, I, I feel it because, it's it, like I said, it's especially hard for us right now, given that we're, we're new in this community. I feel fortunate because my daughter is going to school in a hybrid model. I know there's some risks that come along with that, but I felt it was critical. We, we had the option of all remote, but I, I really felt it was critical that she did establish some relationships. I did get her signed up for uh, socially distant soccer, and those two things have been really, really, really helpful. I've also made sure that 
you know, we've gotten to know our neighbors literally just walking and knocking on doors and stepping back and saying hello. I think it's a little scary to put yourself out there sometimes to demonstrate a vulnerability, but it's so important to do that. And you're going to feel better if you do. I really, really, really believe that. And I, I know for myself, it's, it's been true. You know, I've reached out to my family. They, they don't live in the Boston area. As I mentioned, they're from New York, but I've even set up a, a relationship for my daughter with my sister who happens to be a, a teacher and is tutoring my daughter via FaceTime in math. Wow. And it's not only, of course, helpful from her educational perspective, but this is a connection to a relative who she adores, right? And we're just not getting to see as much of given the crisis. So set up those those FaceTime playdates, push it for them. I know when I was my daughter's age, my parents were not doing playdates. We were kind of, you know, beyond that. But at this very strange time, I think it's important that we try to establish, try to help our kids bridge the gap there because it is tough. Absolutely, Bob. You know, you just said something so critical, you know, those virtual play dates. I mean, they need that connection. They need that release from, you know, the stress of what's happening in, in the world, but also, you know, just just growing up, you know, the, the things that go along with that as being a kid, you know, in this day and age, I think that's important. So moving on to our next question, uh, you know, this year has definitely been, you know, we've been in this midst of this double pandemic. You know, we had this COVID-19 that we're still in, we're still going through, you know, it's taking the lives of millions of people worldwide. And then we have the second pandemic of social justice unrest. You know, as a white male, you know, you're raising an African-American child. You know, what conversations are you having to have with your daughter to help her cope during these unprecedented times? Mm-hmm. Audra, where do I begin to answer this question? <laughs> It's a loaded question, Bob. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so many conversations that we've had, and I will will start by saying this, I don't allow TV news programs to be played in the house. I'm not saying we don't listen to the news. We listen to NPR and we talk about the news, but I don't allow the TV news because I just feel no matter your preferred network that the sensationalism that they're all propagating is just too intense, in my opinion, for my daughter. So, and even without that is my point, even without her seeing so many of these really uh, shocking, offensive images, she's not sheltered from it. You know, we, we do listen to the news on the radio and we do talk about it and she's quite tuned in but without some of that sensationalism all that said we have still had some really intense conversations of course around black lives matter around the importance of integrity uh, sadly audra one of the things that really has me concerned in the moment i mean there's so many but one of the things that i'm equally concerned with is um my daughter is, is I, I'll be honest, she's afraid of the police right now. She's afraid of the police. And I, it really hurts me to say that because I, I have friends that have served and I have always had a respect and a, uh, when I was a kid, police I, I, were some people that I admired. And there are still so many that are worth admiring, the great majority. But it is hard for an 11 year old black child to hear what's going on and not 
have some level of fear. And but for her, for her sake, I, I am trying to help her understand that the great majority of of police out there are incredibly wonderful people that want to do what's right, and that there, you know, unfortunately, are some others that um, are taken taking a wrong path and and really putting a blemish on on a, on a profession that is something people should be really proud of. There's so much more I could go into on this question, Audra. You know, the, the Black Lives Matter topic is, as you can imagine, is something that as a parent is so difficult to discuss with your Black child. You know, when, when she's seen what's happened uh, or heard about what's happened, you know, how, how to have that conversation with, and keep your own emotions in check. You know, you, it's okay to demonstrate a certain level of vulnerability. Of course, we want to dem, we want our child to know it's okay, right, to be affected by all of this. But I also don't want to, you know, get so emotional that it scares her, right? Like, I, I want to try to ground her in hope. And doing that right now is not easy. It, it's not easy. I will, you know, we're going to talk, I know there's a question you're going to ask me later that I'm going to be <laughs> focused on the hopeful side, but it's not easy, you know, um, it's not easy. Thank you for that, Bob. And thank you yeah. for your, you know, sharing your truth. I mean, I think that's something so important right now that we can lean into that empathy, lean into knowing that if you bad actors just not necessarily represent the whole, and we've got to got to recognize there's there's good people still out there you know that are living up to the, the mission so true there is an l as i said there's an element of sensational sensationalism that the media propagates and look i i studied broadcasting i i, I had a a dream at, at some point in my life that that was the job i was gonna do i think i i, I really believe and hope i would have approached it a little differently because i i as much as i celebrate our first amendment and freedom of speech and uh, count on a free press and believe in it so, so, so strongly. I, I do think that there's very little unbiased journalism out there right now and too much sensationalism that is just stirring the pot. There's a lot of people that are stirring the pot, <laughs> but it's, it's tough to, as a parent, to help your child navigate that. So I do encourage, I do encourage parents to consider carefully what you're turning on on the TV. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Bob. I'm going to transition now to Floss. She's going to ask a few questions herself. Floss? Hi, Floss. Thank you so much. Hi, Bob. Thank you again for being here and joining us today. I love what you covered. And, and you know, earlier you talked about how you sort of, I look at it as mindfully protecting your center. And I agree with you in terms of a lot of the sensationalism propagated by the media. And I think to protect yourself, you have to be aware of it and, and aware of where to draw the line. And, and you're taking stands like that in your household and protecting your, your own personal sanity and that of your, your child. So you've sort of answered this question somewhat that I'm going into. And it's I, w- I want to talk to you a little bit about resiliency, which we are hearing a lot about right now during this the, the course of this pandemic, right? Because we've had to call upon it. But aside from, you know, managing what you take in, which is important, how else, what else are you doing to manage stress while being mindful of those in your personal sphere of influence? Yeah, great question. And 
That's also been interesting as we've moved across country in San Francisco. Uh, you know, we knew we knew what you could do, where we could go to find some serenity, some peace of mind, right? In a new town, in a new home, you sort of have to adapt to that. But I will tell you that Floss, one of the first things that we did when we got here was we we went on a mission to discover the best hikes in our neighborhood. You know, just just a peaceful place that we could go walk around a lake or, you know, and talk and decompress. And that's the one thing that I've been able to convince my daughter to do with me exercise wise that she doesn't complain about. She loves to play soccer and go out with her friends. But if she, you know, if as her, as her dad, if I say, you know, can we go for a bike ride? I, it is a little like uh, twisting her arm, but a hike, you know, she and I have made the commitment. Like we know that because we did it so much in, back in California that when we do go on these hikes by the end of them, we both feel measurably better, calmer, grounded, and we've had a fun conversation. And there's nothing more pe- more precious and special than those moments of being able to step away from whatever it is and just walk and talk and laugh with your kid. So the hiking thing, I her- highly in- encourage, even in winter, we're going to try to keep that up. You're going to have to check with me in a couple of months to see if I did it, but we've committed to getting out there every few days on a hike uh, and every day we walk around the block. So we're, we're definitely trying to do that consistently. The other things that I do, I know it may sound a little earthy crunchy for some folks out there, but I'm doing yoga. I'm not doing like the hard stuff, guys. I, I'm terrible at yoga. I am a typical guy i have no flexibility at all like when i was at the gym all the time i was i was bench pressing and i was riding the bike but yoga is 20 minutes of yoga in the morning just 20 minutes with a youtube yoga i'm not kidding it's transformative transformative i highly recommend it i did go out and get a peloton right at the start of covid and i've i've enjoyed that too so i'm riding my peloton bike and I know I'll be counting on that in the winter. And then some of the fun things are movie night every Friday. Since we used to love going out to the movies, we make popcorn, we order a pizza, and we each get to pick a movie. And we do a two-movie uh, you know, blockbuster on a Friday night pretty consistently. So those are just some of the things that we do to try to have some fun and de-stress and, and stay resilient. Wow. Thank you for that, Bob. I feel like you're sort of um, reading my journal here because um, <laughs> I can't miss a day, you know, without the yoga. have to have that because it, it centers me. It makes me feel grounded. So I, I totally feel that. Oh, we're going to have to talk about what, who you're, who are you using? What, what channels you're <laughs> tapping into there? Okay. And then uh, the connection to nature, you know, I was the same way as a kid. I, I didn't like going out. My dad used to love to fish, but I will say that she's your instilling habits in her that will sit with her for a lifetime. And I know that she'll look back fondly on those memories. So thank you for sharing that. You bet. <laughs> my next question is, is still around parenting, uh, but specifically about parents who uh, represent the LGBTQ group. They're often severely not just marginalized, but severely marginalized. What misinformation or negative stereotypes for those who are not aware must gay parents overcome? I really appreciate this question, but you know what comes to mind when you ask it, Floss? I'll I'll just be very simple about it. I 
feel strongly that there is, we are no different. A parent is a parent is a parent. And the pains largely that we are focusing on, the most important thing, the message I want to deliver is like, we're all in this together and it's all, it's always the same. We love our kids. We're constantly struggling with whether or not we're being, uh, you know, too easy on them or (laughs) whether or not we're doing enough to support them or, you know, are they eating right and are they getting enough exercise and are they social and are they doing well enough at school? These are such common themes, right? Every parent. So, you know, I've been fortunate. I've lived in cities where I have not felt marginalized. I will be honest and say it's tough to find other LGBTQ parents that because there's just, it, it's a growing community, uh, which is fantastic, but they're not always a stone's throw away. But I have found it very easy to commiserate and to share ideas and struggles with parents of all, all stripes. So I would just focus on the fact that whether you are an LGBTQ parent or whether you are an ally or a neighbor, it's all the same. And don't feel intimidated about, you know, sharing your pain with uh, a parent of any, any, you know, race, size, shape, stripe. It's we're all, we're all in this together. Thank you for cheering. Love that. My next question is around sort of you making time for yourself and how you actually do that. I was speaking with a colleague last week and she, she was, I was surprised to hear her say she actually has to pencil in time to chat with her friends. Like there's an hour that is scheduled on her calendar to connect with her, her friends. So being mindfully focused on self-compassion, self-care for yourself, right? You talked a lot about your family, but what can busy working parents do to make, how do you carve out that time for yourself? How do you do that? It's so easy not to. You can talk yourself out of it every every day. And I, I'm guilty of this. You meaning like, you know, you can say, oh, well, you know what? I just got to I got to get this work done. So I'm going to skip whatever it is, right? Fill in the, fill in the, the, the blank there, the yoga, the bike ride, the, the walk, the hike. It's a mistake. You're not going to, the most important thing to remember as a parent, and I'm sure folks have thought of this, but you got to remind yourself, you are not going to be an effective, uh, as effective a parent if you are not taking time to focus on yourself, you know, that, that self-care that you talked about, do what you love. If you love jumping on the bike and going for a quick ride or doing the 20 minutes of yoga, like I said, it's not that much time. You can fit it in. I know the pressures of, of work life balance, but you have got to make time for it. And when you do, you will be better for it in your job as a parent, and you'll, of course, you're going to feel better, sleep better. We know these things are true. So do what you love and insist on that time. Well said. With that, Audra, I will pass it on to you to, to take us home on this podcast. Thank you, Bob, so much. Thanks, Floss. Thanks, Floss. Okay. So, Bob, we're coming into the home stretch of 2020. We're about to start 2021. What keeps you hopeful that better days are ahead? So, Audra, what keeps me hopeful is that we're going to get a result in an election today that I'm, <laughs> or in the next couple of days, that I I really hope helps to bring our country back together. I'm a true, I love our country. I, I love the diversity. I, I'm actually, I consider myself an independent and I I have supported both Democrats and Republicans and I I have always, uh, I have great, I relish history. It was my favorite subject in school. 
but I, I really hope that um, we can turn a page here and find ways to mend fences and build a greater a, gr- a greater America, a greater consensus. I have a lot of hope about that in the days ahead. I really do. I also hope we'll get past this pandemic soon. I, I'm not, I don't have any crazy ambitions, but I hope that by the middle of the year, we can start, we can start to say that we're nearing the end because wouldn't it be wonderful if that happened? But those are the things that I'm hopeful for and just, you know, staying connected with family and friends and doing all the things we've talked about today until we get there. That's phenomenal, Bob. You know, opti- um, Helen Keller has it said it best. Optimism is the faith that leads to achievement. Nothing can be done without hope and confidence. And we need hope more than ever. So thank you for that. We sure do. All yeah. Right. One last question. You've got this impressive career. Obviously, you know, you're a terrific father. What do you want to leave your legacy to be that you're most remembered for? Yeah, wow. Uh, <laughs> I got to be honest. You know, when when I think about the question you just posed, I don't think about any of the accomplishments uh, in my career. I really, I just don't. I think about, I really hope, I genuinely hope that I am remembered for kindness for humor, for friendship, and uh, certainly, of course, first and foremost, for being a good dad. I I hope and pray that that's what I'm remembered for. Nobody's going to talk about <laughs> all the deals you closed <laughs> or how successful you were in your. I, I mean, maybe if your if your business was you know contributing to society in a fundamental way, but other than that, I mean, is that really what we're here for? We're here to to influence each other's lives in positive ways and to make this this planet a a better place to live that's that's what i'm committed to and i i just hope that with what i have left and there's a long life ahead of me i hope uh, it's going to be paving you know building more on that foundation of hopefully what i've already established of being uh, you know kind thoughtful throwing a little humor in there whenever possible and and just being appreciated for that Outstanding. Thank you for that, Bob. And I know that you've already are well on your way establishing that wonderful legacy. You're just one of the most phenomenal leaders I've ever met and very authentic. So I appreciate all that you do and especially a strong advocate and ally for diversity and inclusion. So thank you. Thank you. And I know your daughter is proud. Your daughter is proud. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. So thank you, Bob, so much for the gift of the time you shared with us today. It was an honor having you on the podcast, and you've shared some really powerful nuggets. Thank you, Floss, from our Ready Crew, for another exceptional conversation. Also, I want to give a big thank you to our global listeners. We've been downloaded in over 44 countries. We so appreciate your support. Remember that when we celebrate diversity and inclusion, we celebrate humanity. Be sure to spread the word by using hashtag CelebrateHumanity and tag our hashtag DiversityDeepDivePodcast. Real diversity happens when everyone is actively engaged and working together for a positive change. Let's keep the conversation going. Please download more episodes of the Diversity Deep Dive podcast. Until next time, seek out ways to make a a positive difference in your organization or community.